Week after week, I'm always astounded about the care that is given to the musical selections, the worship that prepares us to hear God's Word. This, that was just a perfect song for the text for the morning, and I'm so grateful to Pastor Gunner and Elise and the rest of the team. I know you are too. I want you to listen to something as I begin my message this morning. See if you can recognize it. Any guess? That's the elephant. It's the elephant in the room. So, of course, the elephant in the room is that last week I announced my retirement, effective August 31st, 2024. I want to say thank you to all of you who reached out in prayer and well wishes to Cindy and me, and and particularly for including Cindy in that. She has been, as you know very well, my wonderful partner in this ministry all these decades, and I'm grateful for her. So today, after this service, our congregation is going to meet to uh, formalize our request for the dissolution of our pastoral relationship, and we will vote to confirm the search team that will be nominated to you by your session. And if you are a member, even if you don't do congregational meetings. This is one that you really probably ought not to miss. And uh, if you're not a member, you are welcome to sit in on our family business just to listen. You won't be able to participate, but you'll have a chance to see how how we do things. And I know there are a lot of questions. Uh, Of course, there would be in a time such as this. I promise in the coming weeks and months, you're going to get more and more of those questions answered. But I thought I would go ahead and answer one right now because I've already heard it repeatedly. We've heard it repeatedly, and that is this. May we consider our associate pastor for this senior role? We only have one associate, and the answer is yes, he is uh, eligible. It is permissible, but we have rules and we have protocols uh, that we must follow to consider anyone to be the next senior pastor of Chapel Hill, and we will follow those, and we will do so through the search team that you are going to elect in about an hour. So, as I said last week, the news should not have been too shocking. I've been dropping hints all along for the last two or three years. Cindy and I have been praying diligently about this for several years, and we have been working with a team of close elders in that process, and we believe that the time has come to hang up my Chapel Hill spurs. And if you ask Cindy what she's most excited about in our retirement, she actually will tell you that it's the opportunity for us to do ministry together. For all of these decades, we have been basically in parallel play in our ministry. And this is going to be an opportunity for us to really work together as a team in the third third of our life and ministry to, together. I have loved being your pastor. It's just been pure joy. And you know I have a nickname for you, right? What's my nickname for you? My sweetheart church. You are my sweetheart church. You always have been. I share that with pastor buddies of mine, and and I've heard them lament to me, I wish I could call my church that. And that makes me sad, but but I certainly can call you that. And and have. You are kind and generous and loving and tolerant and indulgent and and gracious and courageous. There's just no church like Chapel Hill. There's just none. And I feel blessed to have been your pastor for nearly four decades, and now I get to share my sweetheart church 
with another new pastor who will get the chance to love you as much as I have grown to love you. But not right away. It'll take a while to grow to love you as much as, as I love you. But what do we call it when we do something differently than we have done it for nearly 40 years? What do we call that? Change, yes. And how do we human beings like change? Yeah, we don't like it very much at all. How does change make us feel? <laughs> and maybe a little, a little nervous. So this morning we are going to talk about anxiety and how to conquer it. And I want us to take a look at the opener of the text that we are in this morning from Luke chapter 12. We read this, these words in Luke 12 verse 21. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Would you read that with me? Here we go. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This is the word of the Lord. So that's the theme of my message this morning. Do not be anxious about your life. This is not a request. It is not a suggestion. It is in the imperative form. It is a command of Jesus. Do not be anxious about your life. And particularly, as we will discover reading on into the text, Jesus is talking especially about the stuff of life, our money, our possessions, our stuff. As you heard from Pastor Julie, this is the second in our series on mastering your money. Jesus had more to say about money and stuff than any other single topic. And you cannot be, hear me on this, you cannot be a serious disciple of Jesus until you come to grips with the stuff in your life your money, and your possessions. Until you possess your possessions, instead of your possessions possessing you, you are in bondage. And Jesus wants to help us with that. And the starting point of, our, of, of this journey this morning is really the first word in his, in his text. He says, therefore. Therefore. Now, when we read a therefore in the Bible, we always need to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore. What is the therefore? Therefore. And it's there because Jesus, in his previous parable, uh, was talking about this, this very topic. Remember, we talked about it last week. It's the rich man who has such a bountiful harvest, he decides to tear down every barn he has and build up a new one so that he can store everything that he, that he has created. And he ends up dying before he can enjoy a single bit of it. The first thing that Jesus taught us last week about mastering our money is don't hoard it. Don't hoard it. And the second thing then he teaches us today is don't worry. Don't worry. Do not be anxious about your life. Easier said than done, isn't it? Worry is our national pastime. I think it surpasses baseball. This is our favorite thing to do. And believe me, I am a big fan. Anxiety is one of my spiritual gifts. <laughs> Only it's not the spirit that I want to be filled with. Are there any other worry warts in the crowd? Raise your hand and confess with me. Aha, yes, there you go. You're in good company. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health concern in the United States. Forty million adults struggle with it. If you look down your pew and see ten people, two of you out of that ten struggle with the issue of anxiety. And guess what the number one marital anxiety source is? Money. Guess what the number one anxiety among married men is? Money. Making enough to take care of our family. 
We worry about it a lot. And that's us rich Americans with storage units to hold all the stuff that we cannot keep in our enormous houses. Remember that? But apparently it was no different 2,000 years ago. And the folks that Jesus was talking to, they had way more to worry about than we do. The average person at the time owned two sets of clothes. It was an agrarian society, and they were always one grasshopper invasion away from starvation. They were paying stifling taxes to an oppressive Roman government. That was their situation. When we worry about money and stuff, most of us, not all of us, because I know some of your stories, but most of us we're worrying about how big should our new TV be. But Jesus' listeners were one tragic farming accident away from devastating poverty. And yet he could still say to them, don't worry. Don't worry about your stuff. But honestly, it kind of reminds me of the old Bob Newhart skit. Remember that? When he was a counselor whose advice to, the, to this woman who was struggling with obsessing over unhealthy stuff, remember his advice? Stop it. Yeah, stop it. It's Todd Davis's favorite uh, counseling technique. Stop it. Are you worrying? Well, just stop it. Which, well, that doesn't really help those of us who struggle with anxiety issues, does it? It's not too helpful. But Jesus says more than don't do it. He gives us some specific tips on how we can conquer anxiety, especially about our money and our stuff. And so I want to take a look at those three tips. He says you've got to think differently, focus differently, and give differently. Think differently, focus differently, and give differently. So let's listen to the master as he talks about how he can coach us worry warts into a little less anxiety. Turn to Luke chapter 12, starting again with verse 21. Actually, 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and your body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, unlike the guy from the last week's parable. And yet God feeds them. How, of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Actually, it's the, the word is, O little faiths. He calls them little faiths. O you little faiths. How much more? Worry. Worry is nothing more than stinking thinking. Right? It's stinking thinking. We let our minds be captured by irrational fears, and then we play them in an endless anxiety loop. And when it comes particularly to money and stuff, we find ourselves focusing on scarcity. We play the toxic what-if games. And we end up doing what I call toilet bowling. Our minds spin around the same stories, around and around and around and around, faster and faster until our emotions end up going straight down the crapper. That's toilet bowling. Jesus says, you want to conquer anxiety in your life? He says, you've got to think differently. 
you got to change your stinking thinking. Change the things you think about. And he introduces that by sharing two ways for us to consider. That's the word he used, consider. Consider. It means literally to, to ponder or to think deeply about. He starts by saying, consider the raven, which is an interesting example for him to point to because the raven was an unclean bird in Jewish society. You didn't eat it. You didn't touch it. It was considered filthy, spiritually, religiously filthy. And yet Jesus uses the raven as his example. He says, have you ever seen a raven go out in the morning and hook up his little raven plow and plow his little raven field and and scatter seed with his little raven wing and then go in and put up his little raven feet and wait on the harvest? He says, of course not. But somehow the ravens have plenty to eat. Especially the ravens that follow around my golf cart. The other day, one swooped in while I was putting the green, on the green and, and, and made off with my half-eaten protein bar, the filthy creature. They are unclean, unclean. And of course, Jesus' point is, if this is how God takes care of unclean birds, how much more you? Or he says, consider the beautiful wildflowers. They don't sit down at their little flower loom and weave a little flower outfit. They just grow beautifully. When I read this, I can't help but think of our roadies here in the Northwest. In May, May comes around. It really doesn't hardly matter what you've done. Those things are going to put out the most beautiful blooms, aren't they? And he says, if that's how God clothes the grass, which is here today and it's going to tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he care for you? He says, you've got to think differently. You've got to ponder these things. You've got to look at the wonder of creation and look at the way that God provides for you year after year after year out of the bounty of that creation, and then you've got to rest easy. Perhaps we need to take Jesus' advice literally here. We are such a screen-obsessed culture How often do we raise our eyes from our computers or from our TVs or from our our phones and just drink in the wonder of God's abundant creation? The other morning, I was on the way to Life Group. I turned up Rosedale. It was still dark. And there, right in front of me, hovering over the road like it had been set there, was the biggest moon I have ever seen. I literally gasped at it, and I turned off my radio, and I said out loud, God, you are so amazing. And I think that's what God is, Jesus is getting at here. He's, take, take your minds off of the stinking thinking of scarcity, and consider, reconsider the incredible provision and goodness of God in your life. Has he taken care of you? Do you go without a meal? Do you have a warm bed under a dry roof? Do you have any reason to imagine that the generous God who has taken care of you so far will change his mind? If not, then you need to change your mind. You need to change the way you think. And by the way, Jesus points out comically, how helpful is that worrying anyhow? As Dr. Phil puts it, how, how's that working out for you? Does your worrying make you happier? Does your worrying make you healthier? Verse 25 literally says, how many of you by being anxious can add, and it says our in our text, but actually the literal Greek is one cubit to the span of life. A cubit is 18 inches in length. At my tallest, I was five feet nine and three quarter inches. 
I wanted to be five foot ten so bad. And so when I went to the doctor and I would get my physical and then I would be measured for my height, I would stretch my neck like a Maasai warrior in Africa to add one more quarter of an inch. It never worked. And now I've shrunk. So I've given up. I've given up on five foot ten inches. Now Jesus says, do you think that worrying is going to add 18 inches to the length of your lifespan? It's ridiculous. Of course, the answer is no, but it will certainly subtract from it. That's the wickedness of worry. It steals health, and for many, it steals length and quality of life. Corey Ten Boom, the Holocaust survivor and famous Christian author, once wrote, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its power. Isn't that good? Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its power. It doesn't help. It hurts. Jesus says, so think differently. And then he says, focus differently. Might seem like it's the same thing, but actually it's a little different. Let's go on and read. He says, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. That word seek means to focus or fixate. It's not just go looking for. It's focus on, fixate on. Jesus isn't saying, don't work. He's not saying, don't go make money. Don't buy things for your family. He's saying, don't fixate on these things. Don't make that the focus of your life. And then he throws in a a zinger. He said, even the Gentiles are focused on that kind of stuff. These unbelievers who don't even understand that they have a God, Yahweh, who is a loving, providing God. And of course, they are fixated on stuff, but not so with you. You should do better. You should know better. You have a, a heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you. And by the way, He knows you need that stuff, and He will take care of it. When you were a kid, how often did you think about whether or not you were going to have food sitting on the table for you that night? I know a few of you did, because I've talked to you, I've heard your story. But most of us, like myself, would say we never gave it a second thought. We had a dad, we had a mom, we showed up at the dinner table, we had food on it. We didn't even think of, of worrying about it, because we had parents who we knew would take care of those things, and we rested in that. And I think that's what, what Jesus is saying here. You don't need to make the acquisition of stuff the primary focus of your life. God's got that. Instead, he says, make God the focus, his mission, his people, his church, his work. Make that the the fixation of your life. Make listening to and following Jesus the focus of your life. And if you do, he'll throw the other stuff in that you need. Don't fixate on stuff. So you want to conquer your money worries, think differently and focus differently. And then finally, he says, give differently. Verse 33, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For Pay attention, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is not saying, this is hyperbole, this is Hebrew hyperbole. He's not saying, go home and liquidate everything. But he is saying that one of the ways that we loosen our anxiety grip on our money is actually to become generous. 
to give more of it away. And it seems counterproductive, counterintuitive, doesn't it, if you're afraid you want to hold on to your money. But he says, if you want to, if you want to lose that anxiety, then stretch your generosity muscles. Instead of hoarding, develop the discipline of giving to the poor, to the church, to just bless someone, and it will change your heart. That's the point he's saying. It will change your heart. You would think that Jesus would have said, where your heart is, there will your treasure be. I mean, that, that makes more sense. In other words, we, the things we are passionate about, the things that matter to us, that's what we give to, that's what we invest in. But what he says is, if you want to learn how to care about the things God cares about, the poor, the oppressed, his mission, his work, invest in it. Invest it. Put some of that treasure, that direction. It will open your heart to the things that matter to God's heart. Your habits shape your hearts. Your habits shape your hearts. Every week, we invite you to participate in God's work here, and you are so generous. I can't tell you how grateful we are. I guarantee you this, though. It is you investors who care most about the results. If you're a bystander, if you're a consumer who receives but doesn't give, you will never care for what God is doing in the same way that investors do. If you want to conquer your financial anxiety, if you want your heart to grow for the things that matter to God's heart, then practice being generous. Give differently. If you don't give, start. If you do give sporadically, give regularly. If you never tried tithing, give it a shot. God promised a blessing for doing that. So think differently, focus differently, give differently. These are just three practical ways for you to begin to conquer the anxiety around money and stuff. But I've saved my favorite verse for last. And I actually think that this is the key to all of this. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Say that with me. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Every phrase in that verse is precious. First of all, the tenderness of it. Fear not, little flock. The most frequent negative command that Jesus gave his disciples was not do not lust or do not steal or do not be proud. The most frequent negative command Jesus gave was don't be afraid. Fear not. And, it's, and he does it so tenderly, doesn't he? Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. This is the, it's called the diminutive of endearment in Greek. It, it, it just indicates the level of his tenderness. These are his precious lambs. He's not chewing them out. He's not angry or impatient with them. He's tender with them. And he's tender with us too. That's the sweetness of this. Jesus understands our worries, our anxieties, our fears, and it doesn't disgust him. It brings out the tenderness in him. If we really believed we were Jesus' little flock, and that he was our good shepherd, and that he has everything under control, would we be afraid? When we hear the tender voice of Jesus calling out, fear not, little flock, don't be afraid, I've got this, it dissolves anxiety like nothing else will. But he keeps going, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How do we conquer anxiety in our lives? How do we overcome our stinking thinking and our fixation on the wrong things and our chintziness that causes us to cling instead of give? By believing that we have a loving Father. How would our lives be different 
if we really believed that God was Abba, Daddy, Father, as Jesus knew him. I was talking this last week with a friend, and he told me his whole life, his trajectory of his ministry was changed when he, as he described it, was re-fathered. When in the study of Scripture, he rediscovered Abba, Daddy, Father, the tenderness of God's love toward him. I watch my son in his love for our granddaughter, the way he sweeps her up and nuzzles her neck and kisses her and holds her, and she pushes him away finally. She can't take it anymore, and he just gives her more. And I think that is the best image I can think of, of the love that God the Father has for us. He cannot love you enough. And Father, that Jesus says, he goes on to say, who delights in giving to us. What does he delight in giving to us? The kingdom. He doesn't delight in giving us a few crumbs. He doesn't delight in giving us just enough to get by. He says, he, the Father gets, gets his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's not grudging. He's not stingy. He is so generous. He has the kingdom to offer. Fear not, little flock, for it is the God, Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This message is exactly what is needed for this church in this moment. Fear not, little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I know things are shifting under our feet. Things are changing for us. And I know our future is uncertain. And some of us are perhaps anxious. And I certainly understand those emotions. So what does our future look like as a church? Who knows? Well, it turns out God knows. And, when, and if we could believe this one verse, fear not, little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If we could believe that one verse, it would transform the way that we move into a future that is unclear to us, but perfectly clear to God. Fear not, little flock. My little Chapel Hill flock, it is the Father, it is your Abba's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That verse, we ought to be repeating it over and over and over again. We ought to be believing it. It is the antidote to anxiety. And I am going to be praying and claiming that promise daily in the months to come. I'm going to choose to believe its tender promise. And I invite you to join me. Let's say it again one more time. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. What a sweet, tender promise this is to us, God. We receive it this day. We receive it personally because we need it. We need it when we are anxious about our life, about our possessions, about our future. We need to be reminded of your tenderness toward us and that you delight to be our daddy and give us everything we need. But Lord, as a church, perhaps we need this too. If we're a little nervous, a little uncertain, wondering what the future holds, we need to be reminded of the words of Jesus to us this day in this moment. Fear not, little Chapel Hill flock, because it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And if you have the kingdom, what else do we need? So may we trust that this day, Lord. I pray you sink that into our hearts as we prepare to move into a, a congregational meeting shortly, as we make decisions that matter. May we know you love you, trust you, and believe that you are our good Father who finds pleasure in giving us all that the kingdom has to offer. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. 
And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.
Love like no